Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. Uh, want a job? <laughs> One of my staff members put on her two weeks notice. She's leaving for a good reason, um, but I've only been in my job for a month and already I need to hire. <laughs> anyway, hopefully by the time that you're hearing this, I've already filled her position. Um, so hopefully I no longer really have a job up for offer. The good news is that um, it has been long enough that I'm starting to get the rhythm of my new job, and most of the time, I know what I'm doing, so that's good. Today, we have book five of Lucretius's De Rerum Natura. I'm still working from the Cassius Amicus edition that includes the public domain Monroe translation, as well as Amicus's own translation. Again, freely available on iBooks and possibly other places on the internet. Um, this epic is about the nature of things, um, and there are things in the world that haven't been covered yet, so that's what Lucretius is going to talk about next. Are we alone in the universe? Who came up with religion in the first place? And who can help us answer these questions? Epicurus, of course, because Epicurus was so cool. He was like the Hercules of philosophy. And Lucretius goes on for quite a bit about how awesome Epicurus was before getting to the point, such as it is. Um, and that point, well, I'm sure you saw this coming. A little bit about evolution, of course. Uh, now, how, how did it all begin? Well, Lucretius isn't exactly sure, but then physicists today are still figuring that out too, aren't they? Big Bang and all that. Um, but somehow... A long time ago, in a galaxy far away, or, you know, in this galaxy, things collided and combined to make other things, and those things collided and combined to make other things, and that's where everything came from. Now, there are some who say that the world was created by the gods for us, but there are so many reasons that that can't be right. I mean, if the gods did that, then why is there disease or death? Why do babies have to cry to express themselves? Other animals don't do that. They don't need rattles to entertain them. But human babies do. And all those mythological creatures, there's no possible way they can exist. Take a centaur, for example. Now, look at a three-year-old horse. They're running Kentucky Derby, possibly winning Triple Crown, you know, all that. Yeah, three-year-old horse. Now... Look at a three-year-old human. They are at completely different stages of development. So there is no way you could combine half a human and half a horse and make a centaur because, you know, you'd have this, like, mature backside and this three-nager on the front. They develop at different rates. There would be no harmony within their bodies. It goes against the laws of nature. Um... Same thing with every other, I'm going to use the word chimera, even though a chimera is a specific thing in Greek and Roman mythology. But today, you know, it's a combination of two different creatures um, as far as we use the term. So all of, if you look at all of these different chimeras that exist in mythology, same thing. If you look at what, what the different parts are, normally you can't put them together. It, it makes no sense. It doesn't work. And yet... 
men have let themselves go to all of this trouble of worshiping these gods that, you know, frankly, they created themselves because they fear death, because they can't understand the changing of the seasons or the weather. Um, and, And unfortunately, with those gods that arose out of this lack of understanding, well, they're scary gods. I mean, who in their right mind wouldn't be afraid of a god in charge of thunder and lightning? But if these people could only just take a look at nature, and if they could only just follow the teachings of Epicurus, oh, they would be so much happier. If they could, if they could just use the minds that nature gave them, they would see their folly. Which brings Lucretius to the end of Book 5. So who was expecting to learn a theory of evolution in an ancient Roman epic? <laughs> I know I wasn't. But that that is what a lot of Book 5 is. It it's a theory of evolution. It builds on what Lucretius has already described as far as, you know, atoms and molecules are concerned. Um, and and then he goes on to this very anti-creationist rant, if you will, which, I mean, is in keeping with what we've read in the previous books, that that there are these building blocks and they combine. And, and as they combine in different ways, then things change and grow and evolve. Um, So Lucretius in some ways anticipates the science that Darwin uh, will later attempt to describe in On the Origin of Species and The Descent of Man. Um, But we also get some of the uglier aspects of the theory of evolution or how the theory of evolution gets applied um, after Darwin writes about it, um, because Lucretius, just like other idiots, applies this thinking to civilization. Um, And I suppose it shows us the seeds of everything wrong with European colonialism. Um, And given that Rome really wanted to rule the known world, it, it was a colonial power. It just wasn't racist like later... European colonialism really was. Um, it, it, that racism as we know it today came a little bit later. Rome was was diverse. I mean, even on the Italian peninsula, it was diverse. Um, it was not this lily white thing that white supremacists would have you believe that it was um don't buy into it that's not not accurate that is not what the Mediterranean world looks like um but but this concept that civilization can evolve and so therefore there are superior civilizations scare quotes um and also scare quotes inferior civilizations or there are places that are uncivilized and places that are civilized that is what we see in European colonialism um 
And that, as we know, continues to affect how the world works today. And here in book five of De Rerum Natura, we can see the seeds of how we got to the point that we are today. Why do we study classical civilization, people? This is why. <laughs> because it teaches us about who we are today. So, what do you think? What parts of book five stand out to you? I, th- there are, I'm sure, whole swaths that I just kind of glossed over um, to hit on the points that either high points to me or the parts that just amuse me the most, like <laughs> this discussion of of how babies cry and need to be entertained. Like other, other animal babies cry. I don't know what Lucretius is talking about there. I... I visited friends once and I was in the room that the cats weren't allowed to go into and one of those cats knew that in their old house she had been allowed to sleep with me when I spent the night and she sat outside my door and cried the entire night long. Other animals cry. But whatever, Lucretius. Anyway, has Lucretius convinced you to, to give up whatever religion you have and follow the teachings of Epicurus instead? Uh, pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. And you can also find the link to my Patreon in the show notes if you feel so inclined. Absolutely no pressure. I am gainfully employed again, so I can afford to keep making episodes um, just using the little bit of ad revenue that I get. But again, if you are so inclined, I do have a Patreon. Um, In our next episode, we will read chapter three, book one, or book, chapter three of book one. So book one, chapter three of the Bibliotheca. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.